faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? We're continuing our message series, Quarantined, which is based off of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is our second to last um, message in this series. And uh, 2 Timothy 3 talks about these qualities and these characteristics, 18 of them, in fact, that um, will uh, be seen in a much greater way in the, in the last days. And the warning from Scripture is that um, people will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power and have nothing to do with them. Uh, let's take a look at 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, they will be disobedient to their parents, and they will be ungrateful and unholy. They will be without love, unforgiving, slanderous, and without self-control. They will be brutal, not lovers of good. In fact, they'll be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And, and that command to have nothing to do with such people is this concept of being quarantined because of the effect that it can have uh, when we put ourselves around these people um, who are going to have that form of godliness, but in fact, not be godly. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about self-control. It was in that list of uh, what I read uh, to you uh, just a second ago. Um, you know, you can summarize self-control with this. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Think about how much grief we could have all in here been spared if we live by that principle. Just because we can doesn't mean that we should. Self-control is important because without it, our disciplining of our children can turn into abuse. Without self-control, our desire and need for food can turn into obesity. Without self-control, our spending can turn into debt. Without self-control, our depression can turn into uh, a desire to kill ourselves. When we lack self-control, we can easily become morally corrupt. You know, when I started working on this message, I thought, you know what, I, I, I get like some, like I easily see lovers of self, um, lovers of money, like in today's day and age, but really all of, everything that's listed in there has to be true today because, I mean, it's God's word and it's inspired, but I have to tell you, when I started working on the message, I'm like, all right, um, 
self-control? Is, is, is that like, is that a bigger issue now than what it's ever been? When you look around, do you see that, you know, people struggle with self-control? And initially, I wasn't quite there. I wasn't like, I didn't have a lot of ideas. I, I wasn't necessarily seeing it. But the more and more I worked with this topic, the more that I thought, you know what? This is probably one of the biggest. It's just like, you don't see it because it's just, it's, it's everyday and it's commonplace. To help you kind of see it and understanding, I, I just went through and I searched, uh, you know, some different things for some different images uh, on, on the web primarily um, that illustrate the fact that we live in a day and age in which we are totally out of control. Let's look at this first picture. Now, I mentioned this on my podcast a couple weeks ago. I think if I remember right, it was back from like mid-July or a little bit before mid-July. And I had sent this to uh, a friend, and they're like, that's Photoshopped. It's not. I'd, I'd like to say it is, but it's not. And it, it, in and of itself, it should be crazy enough, but if you don't know who those people are, it should be a little bit more disturbing. The person on your left, who used to be a man and is now considers themselves a woman, is the assistant health secretary in the U.S. government. And the second person is the deputy assistant secretary of spent fuel and waste disposition in the Office of Nuclear Energy. In other words, the other person is a, a, a deputy assistant secretary and what they do to determine what they do with their spent, like, radiation. The one on the left is a guy who became a woman. The one on the right just kind of depends on the day, goes either way. The, this isn't a Halloween party. This is, I believe, at the French ambassador's house in celebration of Bastille Day. And these are two representatives, high, relatively high representatives of the United States government. They're not dressed up for the occasion. And this is how we show ourselves around the world. You know, when I think about it, like, you know, like Mardi Gras, I mean, I've never been, but I've seen, like, the images from TV and stuff. I mean, in Mardi Gras, everything goes, everything's like, you know, gluttony and excess and, and, and you name it, right? Really, it's the world today. We live in a country, really a world, but especially in the West, I mean, every day's Mardi Gras. I mean, I remember, like, when you went to work, you, you had to dress like you went to work. You went in, like, a suit or a shirt and a tie. And now, like, in the higher levels of our government, th this is how you go? Doesn't cause any embarrassment to us as a country or to people, and doesn't even make that much news unless you listen to the news sources that would point that stuff out? It's because we live in a time, like Paul says, in which... There is no self-control. I, um, I had a member send me this picture like a week ago. I don't remember where he was. I don't know that he told me where he was. I think he did, but he's just like, look, look what I just saw. And I mean, like, in case you can't see, I mean, I don't know if this is a person identifying as an animal. I think so, but he's got like a purple tail on and, you know, some other like costume stuff up top. Once again, it's just a few, like a week ago. It's not like it was Halloween or anything like that. You know what the craziest thing is, is look at the guy next to him. He's like on his phone. He's not even noticing that. 
I mean, how do you not just stare like, what's your deal? If I was a kid and I dressed like that, I'd get my butt kicked. But it's not that way anymore. And, 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 and I was told after early service, I, I can't say that we still should get our butt kicked if we do that, because that, that just, you can't say that nowadays. But you know what? It kept us in line. It kept us where we are not just doing whatever we want, however we feel like it, in a lack of self-control. Maybe that picture doesn't do it for you, but maybe this next one will. Do you know who that is? Seriously, you guys are old. Come on. Who's brave? Thank you. I, I can't call out whoever did it, but good job. All right. Lady Gaga. Her 30th birthday. It wasn't on Halloween. She thinks it looks good. She thinks it looks cool. Maybe you do too. In the last days, people will lack self-control. The next one we all got to see and celebrate for an entire month. And biblically speaking, this, this concept of pride, which gets its whole month, which is a party for the whole month, which is like a Mardi Gras celebration, like Scripture says that, that there's a certain way of living which God has not created us to be, and that, that you know, for people who will do that, he's going to hand them over to their, uh, to, to, to their wickedness and to their disobedience. But we're in a day and age in which we celebrate that disobedience from God's word, and we celebrate it for a month, and you have all kinds of corporations tripping over themselves to sponsor it and to celebrate it as much as what we're celebrating is a lack of self-control, biblically speaking, at least I know not societally speaking. And it's all about pride. You know what? In the Bible, pride used to be a sin. Apparently, in this most recent version, God took it out, but it used to be. But we live in a day and age in which anything goes, and all of the dysfunction, and all of the stuff that goes contrary to the Word of God is celebrated. Now, most of us in here you know, we're not changing our gender, and we're not dressing up like animals when we go out, and we thankfully don't look like Lady Gaga. But there's some other elements of maybe a lack of self-control that maybe resonate with us a little bit more. And there you got these four ladies. I mean, what's the problem with that? They're all having a good time. Now, societally, there's not a problem with that. Four girls, four guys, doesn't matter. They're enjoying their beverages, having a good time. Well, I mean, so... As a society, we don't have a problem with drunkenness. Now, the interesting thing about alcohol is like alcohol, you know, it limits our self-control. It, it, it takes away self-control that we would otherwise have. But we don't have a problem with it because we live in a day and age in which we don't really much care about self-control. So as long as they're being responsible in their lack of self-control, in other words, as long as they're Ubering home, it's okay. Now, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I drink, but the last time I checked, in the latest version of the Bible I read, there wasn't an exclusion of God forbidding drunkenness except for when you Uber home. But in our society, it's just not a big deal. Because you can, but you know what? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. 
How about this next picture? Oh, yeah. That one's becoming popular these days, right? Marijuana. Do you know it's a miracle drug? It cures or helps Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, every neurological issue. It helps all pain. It helps all forms of anything. In fact, I'm pretty sure we can just, like, get rid of any other drug in this country because marijuana solves it all. It really does, if you didn't know that. And also, like, people enjoy, like, doing it. And so, like, it's becoming more and more accepted and more and more legal and in other places where it's not legal, it's becoming more and more prescribed because, well, I mean, we like how it makes us feel. Last picture. People partying. Now, I was never really a nightclub person, certainly not at 50, but I suspect there's some lack of self-control that goes on in those situations, and hey, it's not a big deal. It's just what we do. Lack of self-control can be seen in food. It can be seen in debt. Uh, we can have lack of self-control when it comes to our mouths. Lack of self-control when it comes to our eyes. Watch the good-looking girl walking through the supermarket down the street, and you watch all the guys. Right? Lack of self-control with our body. What, what's the big deal anyways, is it? Who cares? Well, let me ask you, how about, what if like our, the, our military didn't have like self-discipline and self-control? How would you feel about that? Well, I don't think we would like that much. Why? Because we'd get our butts kicked real quick. I mean, technology is important and, and we have a lot of it in this country, but it starts with discipline and self-control. You even look at special ops in, in the training that they do, they put them in the most intense situation that they can ever face. Why? To teach them self-control under all situations. Hey, football season's starting up. What, what about if the Cowboys coach says, you know what, you guys show up and practice whenever you want. I mean, this is the time, but it, if you're 10, 15 minutes late, not a big deal. Hey, if you want to stay out to two, 2 in the morning at the clubs, hey, Whatever, just be here at 8 a.m. When, when it starts. You know, if that's how, like, the Cowboys are going to be run, I mean, are they going to have a good season this year? No, they're going to stink. Any successful team has a coach that the first thing that they do is, is, is there's discipline and there's self-control. Then there's, you know, teaching, like, just the, the fundamentals of the game and, and repetitivity and all the other stuff. But it starts with discipline and self-control. Listen, if you don't want to be a part of a military and have your country have a military that doesn't have, you know, self-control, if, you, if you, you don't want your favorite team to not be a team of self-control, why should our faith be any different? Seriously, why? How effective will our faith be if we have a lack of self-control? Now, this theme is seen throughout the Bible, but the biblical basis that I want to kind of look at from Scripture here is from Romans 7, 17 to 24. And Paul says this, you know, we know that the law is spiritual, but Paul says, I am unspiritual, and you're unspiritual, and I'm unspiritual. We're sold as a slave to sin. He says, I don't, I don't even understand what I do. Because what I want to do, 
I don't do. But what I hate, that's what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know, Paul says, that, the, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. Because I, I have this desire to do what is good, but I just can't carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want to do, it's the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, then it's no longer I who do it, but it is that sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I, I, I delight in God's law. But yet I see another law at work in me. It, it's waging war against the law of my mind, and it's making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, Paul says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul talks about he knows what he's supposed to do, but for some reason he still ends up doing what he knows he's not supposed to do. You know what, it reminds me of when we were kids, if you're older like me, there's always those cartoons, and on the cartoons you would have an angel on one shoulder and you'd have the devil on the other. They'd be whispering in your ear. Which one, which one? And that's a lot what this sounds like, but it's not an angel and the devil. What it is, is it's your old self on one shoulder, whispering in your ear, and it's the Spirit of God on the other whispering in your ear, and, and there's a battle going on. Now, you would think if you're, if you're battling the Spirit of God, who's going to win that every time, the Spirit of God? No. Why? Because God doesn't force us to do anything because of free will, and because God doesn't force us to do anything, it, most of the time we end up listening to our old self, and it's our old self that wins. We claim we don't we don't know what, what's wrong, but we do. You know what? Everyone knows what's wrong. Regardless of what country, regardless of what religion, in many respects, even regardless of, of age for the most part. I mean, we, we know. I mean, in this country, in that country, this religion, that religion, we know that murdering's wrong. We, we know that stealing's wrong. We know that being rude is wrong. In fact, even amongst the animals, there's a code. There, 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 there's a normality in which you live, and if you step outside of that, it ain't going to work out real well for you. But though we know what's right, we just find ourselves not doing it. It's like we cave because we don't have self-discipline and self-control. And that's why, like, we end up saying, what in the world? Why in the world did I do what I did last night? I mean, I, I knew I shouldn't. Man, I'm stupid. Why in the world did I say that? I mean, couldn't you have, like, thought before you said that last night or yesterday or whatever? Why in the world did I act that way? Why in the world didn't I think first? Why in the world do I keep falling for those same lies over and over again? I, I know it's not real, and I know it's not true, and I know I shouldn't, but I just keep doing it. 
why in the world do I keep letting myself get so upset about that? You see, it's, we know, we know what we should do, but the problem is, and it's not just us, like Paul, we, we just don't do it. You know, when it comes to self-control, it's not nice to have self-control. It is a requirement to have self-control. Why? Because self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if, if God's Spirit lives in you, you can have self-control. I'm about to read to you a list of qualities and characteristics that if the Spirit of God is in us, we're going to do. Now, mind you, we're not going to do them perfectly because you can't do anything perfectly. So some of us are going to be better at some of these than others, but, but these are qualities and characteristics we all must possess if we're children of God. Look at Galatians 5, to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And if self-control is necessary for like a, an army to be victorious, if it's necessary for a, a sporting team to be victorious, it's required of us. It's like cheese on pizza. If you don't have cheese, you don't have a pizza. Now, some of you are going to email me about that, but you're wrong. A pizza's got to have cheese. You can mix the toppings around. You can maybe do pepperoni or sausage or mushroom or onion or, or peppers or what, supreme or meat lovers. I mean, that you can do, but a pizza's got to have cheese. A Christian has got to have self-control. And one of the biggest problems I see in Christianity, and this has been kind of something I've, I've spoken on for a long while, is that like we can't tell who is and who isn't. Why? Because like the world has no self-control for the most part. For those of us in, as Christians, we, we lack self-control as well. But you see, it's self-control that helps us to keep our eyes and our minds focused on the things of God rather than the things of this world. It's self-control that says, you know what? You can't have too much of a good thing, so be careful. And it's self-control that says, don't even a little bit of it. You know, you, you're, you've got an addictive personality. Don't you even, like, try it once, because if you do, you know it's going to be a problem. It's self-control that, that, that does that. It's self-control that gives us the ability to refute uh, the, the attacks of Satan. In fact, if you look at Jesus, Jesus, when he went out to be tempted by Satan, he went out for 30 or, or 40 days, like a little over a month. He's out, and, and he's, like, fasting. He's not eating. And how does Satan come and, and, and try to tempt Jesus, he says, you know what, take these stones and turn them into bread. It's, it's against Jesus' self-control. But Jesus responds, you know what, man doesn't live by bread alone, but on the word of God. So Jesus shows self-control and he refutes, he stiff-arms Satan. And then Satan comes after Jesus because he knows Jesus knows he's going to ultimately have to be, uh, suffer and be crucified. And he, and he tells Jesus, you know what, if you just bow down and worship me, all the kingdoms of this earth can be yours. Power, influence, and, 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 and majesty will come to you if you just do this. And Jesus has self-control. He's not willing to take the easy way out. In fact, even when he's sitting there praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just hours before he would be arrested, just hours before he would be tried, 
died just hours before he would be whipped and, and, and having his flesh pulled off his back and a crown of thorns pushed into his skull and uh, to be nailed to a cross. Jesus prayed to his father if there's any other way, but there wasn't. But because of Jesus' self-control, he was willing to stand firm even in the, in the most difficult of situations. Yet, our self-control, we're easily tempted by power and wealth, aren't we? We're easily tempted by pleasures of many kinds. In fact, we're even tempted by procrastination because we just don't have much self-control at all, do we? Which leads me to my next point. You know, self-control is a discipline that must be developed. I mean, God could, but it doesn't work this way. He doesn't just say, all right, you're, my spirit's in you. Now you are a person of amazing self-control. No, as faith has to be developed, self-control and discipline has to be developed as well. It's why I like to fast a, a few times a year, because when, when, when I learn to ignore what my mind is saying and what my stomach is saying and, and, and feeling tired and feeling weak and choose not to eat, that, that develops discipline and self-control. It's why Jesus did it. The reason Jesus was able to stand up to, to the attacks and, uh, of the enemy and uh, of the religious leaders and, and everything that he did is because he did certain things to develop his self-control. A number of years ago, when I moved into the house that I'm in right now, um, it has a swimming pool, and I've never had a swimming pool before, and I thought that was kind of cool. And so I was looking forward to the first swimming season once I was in the house, and um, I think I uh, got in the pool about March and started swimming and, and you know, enjoyed it through the summer. And, and, and like, I, I developed a practice at that point, like trying to swim at least, you know, two, three times a week in which I just swim for an hour at a time without stopping, just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It clears my mind, it's relaxing, it's exercise. Um, sometimes you're tired and you want to stop, but you force yourself not to, to develop discipline and, and, and self-control. In the first year I did that, I decided, you know what, I'm not ready to stop at the end of August when things start cooling off in September. I'm going to keep doing this as long as I possibly can. And, uh, and sure enough, September came and, and that water started getting cold. And when I say cold, I mean anything under 80 here in Texas is cold, right? But I kept swimming in, in September, and, you know, it was uncomfortable when you first get into it for the first maybe minute or two, but you know what, it, it warms up as you start exercising and so forth, and, and I'm sure kept it up, you know, swimming an hour um, a day, you know, two or three days a week through September. October, it was a cold fall, I remember, because I remember by Thanksgiving we were getting, like, frozen precipitation, but by October it was starting to get a little cold. I remember, like, into November, um, the water temperature being... Um, uh, lower 50s, maybe even upper 40s on, on certain days when it was really cloudy, cold, and like I said, we had some frozen precipitation. And it became hard, really impossible to swim an hour um, in that water uh, because it, it just, it does. And I remember the last time I swam, it was the week of Thanksgiving, um, I, was, uh, I was swimming and I was doing my laps. And, and um, you know, when you get into the water that cold, it's miserable for the first second or two, but almost immediately you go numb. So honestly, it's actually better then than when it's just a little bit cold because then, then you stay colder longer. But eventually you start shivering and, and feeling that cold. And, and I remember like maybe, you know, 15 minutes into that swim, um, I'm kind of like, huh, I'm starting to lose my feeling in my right hand and my right arm. But I'm like, who needs feeling, right? It's still working. So, you know, I'm just swimming back and forth and going back and forth. And remember, I'm trying to build discipline. Um, and I kid you not, like about five minutes later, it's like, it stopped working. 
I mean, I could, my brain could be like move arm. It, it wasn't moving. It was just trailing behind like a fishing lure, right? But did I stop? No, because I still had one arm and two legs. And I kept swimming for probably another five or 10 minutes until I could prove to myself I wasn't going to allow that to stop me. But I thought it was Thanksgiving week, and it would be a bummer if they found me dead at the bottom of the pool. So I eventually did stop. And honestly, like 15 minutes later, after I warmed up, uh, the feeling came back, and it started working again. But I did that, and I do that, and, and I do things all the time that are just incredibly uncomfortably, uncomfortable for me physically or mentally or emotionally. I, I do it to build discipline. Because if I'm not disciplined, then how am I going to handle, like, when the biggest donor says, if you don't do this, then, then we're out of here. If I don't have discipline, then I'm going to worry about it, and, and I'm probably going to change what I do. Or someone that's really influential who wants to come and say, you know what, I don't support you doing this. I mean, I, I'm going to cave. If, if, I, if I don't learn to swim when, I, when I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to continue swimming and end up at the bottom pool, that, that puts those other things in. It's not that big a deal, right? Or as we move into the world in which we live, and I got to stand up here and, and, and say stuff that would get me banned on Twitter if I was on Twitter or on the social media and, and so forth. I mean, I, okay, okay. It's not any worse than like swimming in your pool not knowing if you're going to drop to the bottom. So I can handle that, right? It's discipline. It's what Paul does to himself and what I think he calls all of us to. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners will run, but only one will get the prize? Run in such a way to get that prize. You see, we're going to run differently if we're running to win it versus just to finish it. He said, everyone who competes in the games, they'll go into strict training and, but they're going to do it to get a crown that they won't even last, but we're doing it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul says, therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer that's just beating at the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others that I myself may not be disqualified from the prize. And I look at that as Christians nowadays, it's like, you know, we're out preaching to others, but maybe self-discipline's keeping us from even getting the prize ourselves. I, I, I look at pastors of so many big churches that, that are doing all of these things, they're doing amazing things, they're, they're sharing the message of Christ, but in the same time, it's really just about how do I get so many people in my seat, in the seats, and, and how much am I getting paid, and how rich am I getting off the gospel, and I think there's a little danger that you end up not getting the prize, even, even though you're helping other, other people get the prize. You know, it's kind of like it reminds me of when I, I can't remember if it was middle school or high school, probably both, but um, when I was in school, and apparently it's the same nowadays because the kids were nodding yes to me, but um, when the coaches don't feel like doing work, they have you like run the track, which means they're going to sit in the office and do whatever they do or just be sitting there talking to each other and not paying attention. And technically, your grades based upon how many times you get around the track and that you're running the whole time. But when they did it, there's like three types of people. There was the, the, the um, athletic nerds that would run the whole time, and we'd sit there and make fun of them, right? 
Then there's people like myself. It's like, well, I can't be a, I don't want to be an athletic nerd, but I don't want to be a total slacker. So I'm going to run half the time. I'm going to walk half the time. And if the coaches happen to stick their head out, then I'm going to really start, right? And then there's those people that don't even care. They're just talking with their friends. They're walking. And, I mean, they might do one or two laps the whole hour. Well, this is what Paul's talking about. I mean, technically, as Christians, we need to be those athletic nerds. We need to be running, like, the whole time, like, to get the prize. But self-discipline doesn't just befall you. It, it has to be developed. I mentioned how I try to do it. Paul mentions how he does it. Doesn't mean we're perfect all the time. Clearly, Paul says he is, and he still battles, like, you know, flesh and spirit. But what are you doing? And how are you developing yours? Because true faith requires self control and discipline. Look at Galatians 5 16 to 17. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of flesh. That is, when you walk according to the Spirit of God, the, the, the cravings and the desires of the flesh, they will not control your life. They will not rule your life. They will not determine what you do and don't do. Because the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to desire what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. Look at that last phrase, that as Christians, we don't do whatever we want. We're told all the time, do whatever you want. Life in this country and in the West especially is one giant Mardi Gras, but that's not right. That's not wrong. You don't want a military that doesn't, isn't self-disciplined and self-controlled. You don't want your favorite sporting team. Neither do we do whatever we want. I mean, we have children who are part of an alternative lifestyle. We have good friends that are, and we want to support that, but you can't because you can't do what it is you want. You have to do what's right. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't love them in it, but you don't like say it's okay you might want to just eat drink and be happy party and have a good time right but we don't do what it is we want you might want to be lazy in your faith you might not want to pick up the bible and read it and you might not want to serve in the church you might not want to you know go to bible say i get it it's like going to the gym i i never really enjoyed that either right you might not want to but it's not about what you want you may want to be selfish and it be all about you, but you know what? It's, it's not about what you want, Scripture says. You know, people ask me, like, all the time, uh, hey, what do you want to do? Where would you like to go? You know, and when I get asked those questions, I, I don't even process life anymore about what I want because I don't even think about that because I'm just too busy trying to do what I know I should do versus what I want. You know what, when I was in college, I didn't want to start tithing. I wasn't like, woohoo, less money. All my friends are going out. I got to stay back at the dorm. You know, but, and so I didn't want to, but I knew I should, so I did it. And now, you know, at 50, I want to do it, and I do it. I don't always want to be nice to people that are a pain in the rear. That's not about what I want. So I got to do it, right? We might not always want to share with the hairdresser or the coworker, you know, share our faith with them, but it's not about what you want. 
You see, this is the difference. Like, if we, if we go full circle to, to those opening pictures, those aren't being people doing what they should do. They're, they're doing what they want to do. And Scripture says that when we do that, we go against the Spirit. Because the Spirit does not gratify the desires of the flesh. Last point that I want to share is this. You know, ultimately, self-control is achieved through the Spirit of God. There is some truth to the old self is on this shoulder and the Spirit of God's on this one. We've got to learn to die to ourselves. We've got to learn to kind of tamp that down a little bit because it's in opposition to this, and this isn't going to bully this down, right? And so we have to learn to rely on the Spirit of God who will give us the strength to to stand firm when other times it would be easy to just cave. I know some of you in here, self-control isn't one of your strengths. Some of us in here, our lack of self-control has caused us to ruin a relationship with friends or family or a coworker. Some of us in here, our lack of self-control has caused us to ruin our careers. Some of us in here, our lack of self-control has caused us to miss out on some significant opportunities. Some of us in here, our lack of self-control has caused us to destroy our health because we've lived a little hard and pretty party in life. And some of us in here, our lack of self-control has caused us to ruin the trust of people that we once cared about. Self-control isn't just given in its fullness. It's given by the Spirit of God, but it's got to be developed. And it's time for us to grow up, and more importantly, to grow in our faith, because just because you can doesn't mean you should. Galatians 6.8, I leave you with this, it says this, whoever sows, whoever does things to please their flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. Would you pray with me? Gracious Almighty God, we just thank and praise you for these words of Scripture in which at first when we look at this world and ourselves, we don't see that there's really a problem with self-control, but as we dig a little deeper into it, as we examine the dysfunction of our own lives, we, like Paul, struggle with self-control. The good that we know we do, we don't do, and the bad that we know we shouldn't do, we just kind of fall back on and start doing Help us to not just surrender to that, but help us to to resist it and to develop self-control. That in the same way that we see that self-control is critical for a strong and powerful military and critical for a sports team to be a champion team and to be effective, so it is for us as Christians. Where we lack and where our self-control is, is, is not what it should be. I just pray, gracious God, that first and foremost, you give us the desire to do something about it. And by the power of your spirit, that we would do something about it. 
and that when we stumble and fall, that you'd pick us back up and we'd go back to doing it again. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray, amen.